Welcome back to PYD in three. We're talking about youth leadership today. So we're coming off of episode 10, talking about middle school, adolescence, and moving into youth leadership and some, hopefully some opportunities to get youth more involved. Yes. A few years ago, the National 4-H Council started a Grow True Leaders campaign featuring all the great leadership development that we do in 4-H. It's certainly When I ask folks, what was your 4-H experience like? They often will include something about growing their leadership potential or uh, increasing some confidence or abilities in their leadership skills. So I think this is a timely, timely and important topic for our exploration in this podcast, Ashley. Good. I'm excited to dive right in. So I'm going to get my stopwatch ready. For the three-minute deep dive, if this is the only time you have, hope you'll listen in for these three minutes about youth leadership. Are you ready? I am ready. Well, Ashley, in preparation for this three-minute deep dive, I did a little homework and looked at several state 4-H programs, how they talk about youth leadership in uh, on their website. And so I looked at about 10, 10 to 12 uh, to see what those site said. And when I did a quick look at their programmatic landscape, what I found is how leadership development is talked about was a bit nebulous. A lot of words like we grow leadership skills and these skills are grown to lead. And what is that exactly? Their skills to lead. To lead what? Well, lead with skills. So this kind of blanket generic sort of nebulous answer about what leadership development really is in 4-H and young people. So I said, this ain't, this cannot be enough. I'm going to see what happens when I do a little bit deeper dive into the programmatic landscape. And what I've found is that there's a variety of ways that 4-H programs emphasize leadership development and create opportunity to engage and interact with leadership development. But by and large, what I see is that when looking at leadership development and youth, a focus is on first empowering young people to make decisions, to know who they are. So there's a lot of attention to self-awareness It could be your leadership styles, your strengths as an individual, things that help grow your confidence or even increase your self-esteem. So lessons or activities or experiences focused around empowering young people. And second, they looked, a lot of the content looked at growing identity as a leader specifically, that naming um, a positional leader like recorder or treasurer or president, that positional leadership is one way that young people can see themselves as leader. And then even in roles like team leader as they facilitate learning for other people. And then they also emphasize influencing communities through service or even project work. So that leadership development experience encompassed um, empowering young people, growing their identity as a leader, influence communities, and finally skills. I hear my 
timer going off, I'll stop it and say, even those skills, I think I gave you nine seconds, I'll take them back this podcast, such as planning and organizing and evaluating public speaking skills, managing the contribution of others, those skills are part of that leadership development piece in 4-H. And so that's a quick look at how we do leadership development and what it all entails for the most part in 4-H. Reactions? Well, I just appreciate the the research, Maria, because I think that's fascinating. But I also, you know, leadership is one of those terms like positive development, right, where it's kind of hard to, to define sometimes. And so I think that's really helpful. And those are good, tangible examples to share. We know we're doing it, right? We know that's that is the basis of a lot of our programming, but it's nice to hear it in a, a really concise way. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Well, I'm excited about talking to our special guest today. Who do we have, Ashley? We have a very fun interview uh, coming up with our expert today. Segment two, we always interview someone who is very well versed in the topic. And today that is going to be Dr. Rachel Gadouli. Rachel is the interim assistant extension director for Kentucky 4-H. She is also the co-chair of organizational alignment committee through the 4-H thriving model task force. And she is a force of in and of herself and a lot of fun. So we're excited to talk a little more on the topic of youth leadership with Rachel. Yeah, tune in. Welcome back to segment two, PYD in three. We're here with Rachel Noble Gadouli, and she is the Interim Assistant Extension Director for Kentucky 4-H and is also the Specialist for Leadership and International Programs at the University of Kentucky. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thanks for having me. Rachel, we're so glad you're here. Uh, And I've known you for about a year now in a different capacity. And so I'm glad to have you on the podcast and have you talk a little bit about your specialty there and the University of Kentucky, specifically about youth leadership. So I hope our listeners are warmed up to that idea today. It's one of my favorite topics, so I don't want to go too long, but uh, I just come alive talking about it. What kind of led you to the field and in this area? Well, Maria, I think that I could talk about youth leadership all day, too. I am a product of Kentucky 4-H youth leadership programs, and that's really my spark and how I got to the point I am now as our interim director of Kentucky 4-H and specialist for leadership and international programs. I distinctly remember a time when an adult saw in me something I did not see in myself, and that was the potential to lead other groups. And that person was my 4-H agent, and she saw in me that I could do it. And she encouraged me to do a leadership workshop and take what I had been doing on our state team council and bring it back to our community and teach it at 4-H camp to a group of middle schoolers. And that was really my start. That was what started it all. And funny enough, that individual is Dr. Jennifer Hunter, who is now the Assistant Director of Family Consumer Sciences here at the University of Kentucky. So it really is full circle for me. That is a great story. I'd love to know more about how she told you that she saw something in you that you did not see. Right. And I think that is something that is really important when we're working with our teens is 
that we don't really tell them because as teens, you don't want to be told to do anything. But (laughs) she, (laughs) I mean, I think back to my teen days and man, I didn't want to be told how to do anything, but she had this way of nurturing that relationship and saying, you're really good at this. You should share it with your peers. And that just made me feel so special. And of course, I didn't know all the theory and the principles behind positive youth development. And I think she was just doing her job really, really well and nurturing that relationship and seeing in me and tell, and, you know, just sharing with me, you're really good at this. Not necessarily saying you have to do this. And I think it's all about the way we approach our teens. That's so great. You know, when I, uh, in a previous life, uh, <laughs> professionally, I was doing research on leadership development mm-hmm. and specifically as young women transition to adulthood and their leadership experience. And so many of their stories were, I became a leader because someone told me I could be. Yes. And it was not this self-driven. It was externally like a tap on the shoulder of, I think you should do this. You have this great potential. And so all their stories were the same in that way. I just love that you said teens necessarily don't want to be told anything, but also (laughs) the importance of being seen and made to feel special. Yes. Uh, Ashley, any connection to that for you? You're pretty special in general. I think you've always kind of known that my friend, but anything for you that stands out? I just think sometimes they need the ask or they need, need to kind of the nudge. I always say, right. The nudge. And so it's a little bit about being in the moment as an educator and, and kind of finding those times where that's appropriate. So, you know, what does that look like as far as kind of being in that moment and, and taking the time to kind of observe and, and know your students or know your youth that you're working with? Ashley, I think you bring up a really good point. And I think it's something that all of our professionals across our system and even other fields, we are all so busy. We're looking for the most efficient way to do things. And I have had to stop in the last year and really think through how am I intentionally identifying my young people's strengths and how can I uplift them to utilize those? And it's not about checking off those checkboxes. It's about the process. It's about getting our young people in the right place. And I always use an analogy that I read in a book years ago, and it's it's not about just the people you get on the bus, but it's about getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. And so I've tried to look at my young people that I work with as an individual and look at their strengths and how they can contribute in a way that's meaningful to them. And and uplifting them and also knowing that it's a process. It's not going to end up perfect. And we have to be okay with that as professionals. And that is the process of positive youth development. It makes sense for teens as much as it does for us as adult professionals. So it's kind of a funny, like, oh, uh, of course that makes complete sense. Yes. But what are the differences between having that, that great colleague that like Maria who will say, oh, you're special, you know, and, and tell you that day to day, which she does to me. And I appreciate mm-hmm. and, and doing that with a teen, is there a difference with that approach for the adult? versus teens? That's a good question. Well, we all want us to be valued and we all want to contribute in a meaningful way. I think for our teens, they want to be seen. They want to be heard. 
And especially with this new generation, Generation Z, I've been reading some materials about Generation Z. They really want to contribute in that meaningful way. And it's, it might look very different than what we have known in past years because we are such a connected society. They want to be amplified um, to really impact the global scene. But, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't, I think it comes down to that they want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to place value where they are. And I think for for educators, I think we really have to approach them based on their interests. And I think that's what it boils down to. Well, we know that this adolescent time period begins or, well, it seems younger these days, but there's some identity exploration happening. Oh, absolutely. So how do we foster leadership development during this adolescent identity exploration. You know, we approach them where their interests, how do they even know their interests? Maybe they've not had opportunity and, or they've been, I don't know, I hate to use this word. I'm going to say it though, coerced because of parent passion or guardian Mm -hmm. passion. You know, my girls don't care anything about team sports. And when I became a parent, I was like, that's the one thing I'm going to make sure my girls are part of. They don't care. And so Finally, the youngest just had to say enough about soccer. Like, I'm not going to do that. So how do we as youth development professionals really not put our own stuff on kids and or help them know it's okay if you try it and you hate it and that you're still building leadership skills? I have had so many thoughts while you were talking, Maria, about so many connections to different experiences that I've had over the last several years in this position. And so I first want to, I want to talk about your piece about um, risk-taking and really self-identity. I was working with a young person in our international program. By the way, young people, when you start working with young people, it's their commonalities that cross borders and cultures. And it is fascinating to me. But I was working with a young person in our international program, and he was here from Japan. He decided that he wanted to have a mohawk and color his hair pink. And so his host mother sent me a picture, and I was so nervous I would lose my job because this child under our watch has cut his hair, dyed his hair pink. In conversations with the mother, I was like, as long as he goes home with his looking like his typical self, we are okay. And she said to me, this is a safe place where he can take risks. It's not going to be detrimental to his overall future. And that really resonated with me that our young people want to take risks. And as positive youth development professionals, we really have to provide those opportunities for them to take those risks, potentially succeed, potentially fail, but have it in a safe environment. Positive youth development professionals, our profession, where we are, I think if we can provide our young people with the freedom to make the choices that are going to give them the skills that they need to critically think, to come up with an idea and and execute that idea, those are really, really important hallmarks of positive youth development. And that's what our teens need. They need to feel seen. They need to feel heard. They need to know that they're making an impact. And we can do that by providing them the environments to do that. The second thing that you said, Maria, about sports, and I was never a sports kid, so I was never in that crowd either. I I did 4-H, and I loved it, and I did the leadership experiences with school, and I think we have a really unique 
opportunity in 4-H specifically where our young people get to come in and many get their start at 4-H camp in Kentucky at least. Mm -hmm. And that is an opportunity where they can explore all kinds of different things. And I think they get to see some of the experiences that they wouldn't see in a formal classroom. They get to see those in an informal way, learn by doing hands-on experiences. And I think that's how we as positive youth development professionals, as 4-H agents, educators, we can really hone in on what they're learning at 4-H camp, or maybe it's a project day on our exploratory day and really connect the dots for our young people. So if we see a young person that they are thriving in the nature class, giving them resources to continue their involvement, that is so important. And that's what we're really focusing on here in Kentucky is how can we get our young person in the door and how can we continue to connect the dots around their spark their interest and what they want to do. Thanks for that, Rachel. You keep using the word spark. Yes, Uh, I do. I I love that word. (laughs) And I will be honest. I know what it means, Uh, but just in case our listeners don't, can you do a quick explanation for us? Yes, absolutely. A spark is a young person's passion. It essentially sets a fire under them and makes them think that they really love this topic. It really gives them the drive and motivation for what they want to do in life. And it can be anything. For us in Kentucky, we're really trying to focus on those things that aren't necessarily in the forefront. It might be something that a hobby that they really like to do on the side. It may not be being a part of a sports team. It may not be school. And that's fine. And I think that's the most important thing about using the spark language is that it's something that internally it gives you the fire and the motivation to keep going or to to learn more. Love that. I can just feel that fire in your <laughs> voice, right? Well, really can. Yeah. My uh, my spark is international travel and relationships. I just. I love it. And so when I think of a spark, I think of that. And that's why I get so passionate about talking about sparks because I think about mine. As a professional, a youth development professional, that's a great way to look at that. Like I have sparks. I have things I'm excited about. How does that translate then to the work we're doing and and the youth and their sparks? So I love that example. These kinds of conversations are, are, uh, they spark for me. I love it. I agree. I agree. We get so focused on our due dates and our deadlines and getting those success stories in that when we get to sit down as professionals and talk about what, what makes our job so wonderful, I get so excited and it's refreshing. And I hope that, I hope that that is what this podcast is for other people too. And I think it is. Right on. Thanks for that, Rachel. I, you know, going back to something you said about sparks, I think that that is so right on. And you know, when we're thinking about youth staying engaged in something and and being excited and passionate about something, a lot of our colleagues will say, we have a really hard time keeping teens engaged, keeping teens in the program. What would you say to those folks that say, oh, we just, we just are really struggling with our teens and having enough opportunity and enough things to keep them, keep them in and keep them going strong. I want to answer this and it might be taking us off topic a little bit, but I was in a conversation yesterday. I think that we're feeling a very heightened sense of burnout across the world. (laughs) Um, We have so many external factors that are really influencing our motivation and our energy. And I think one thing that I would say to those professionals that are experiencing one, that burnout and two, the frustration of I'm, I'm struggling to keep teens involved. I 
really think that we have so much on our plate. We're trying to do in-person programming, face-to-face programming, hybrid programming. Burnout is not a new concept by any means, but we are experiencing it in a different way. And I would want to say to those professionals that it's okay to sunset programs that are not working. It's okay to evaluate programs and see how can I make this more efficient and effective to where I am contributing to these young people in a way that they are having transformational experiences, experiences that matter. And I have seen the young people that stay involved in the programs that are well attended. Those young people that are attending have buy-in. They are given experiences. They are the leaders. They're, they're not coming in to a sit and get they are actively involved. If it is the time now, and I do think it's the time now, that if we need to sunset something, I think we need to have have the courage to do that so we can program better for our young people. You used a term just then that I wrote down. It's sit and get. And it just, I'm like, what? I just shook my head like, yes. What do you mean by sit and get, Rachel? People come in, they sit. Well, first of all, they sign in because we need the demographics, right? Golly, yeah. Um, they sign in, they come sit down. They might pick up some food since, you know, most extension programs have food. They sit there, they look at a PowerPoint, they, they hear, may not necessarily listen and take away, and they just get information and they leave. So that's what I mean by saying it. There's no dynamic experience or hands-on experience that makes the education meaningful and valuable. This has been something that has always gnawed at me about education in general and not to poo-poo what happens in a formal classroom or even in um, higher education. But so many people say, I I got my degree or I got this on a test. And I have always pushed back and say, you earned this. Education is not a spectator event. You got to be in it. And we got to, as professionals, set up the environment to have our learners be in it. Yes. Um, And I think that measure of, is this a sit and get? And does it need to be sunset to actively engage these young people in something that is relevant, something in which they have they have buy-in? Yes. Um, are you noticing any trends on either topic or some component of a program where you're seeing success and buy-in? Yes. We, in the recent months in Kentucky, have had some devastating mm. natural disasters. I have experienced compassion from our young people that I have never seen before. They want to help. They want to get out and work and and help their fellow community members, even if they've never met them. We are seeing in Kentucky a lot of, of compassion and a lot of, they don't want your typical community service, which community service is great, but they want the connection to their cause. They want to know that they are impacting a person, a community, that their their contribution matters. And so I am seeing that a lot with our young people, along with the conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are seeing that we need to really focus on how we are involving all young people in our opportunities and not thinking about it as an afterthought. Thinking of it as a for in the very front of when we're planning something, how are we programming? How are we meeting the needs of all young people? So I'm seeing our young people specifically, including 
more young people in the experience, not our traditional 4-Hers that we have had, which is a wonderful history, but we have to continue to change and evolve. And our young people are really pushing that in in the programs that I'm working with. I think that's wonderful. I'm, I'm wondering, I instantly go to Youth Voice in that. And so what's what are ways that you've seen Youth Voice really successfully kind of driving some of those experiences? That Youth Voice piece is really important. And I want to talk a little bit about the quality of youth voice, we need to ensure that we are asking the right questions and including youth voice in a meaningful way. It's not just us asking, what do you think about this? But it's, what do you think about this? What do you think we should do? How do we move forward? How is this going to impact you? How is this going to impact the next generation of kids just like you or kids that haven't even had the opportunity to be involved, haven't been asked to come to the table. We have to really, really think about how we are meaningfully, intentionally bringing those young people to the table to provide them an opportunity for quality youth voice. I think that in the past two years, for me, youth voice has come from our state team council and leadership boards. They have had the opportunity to really contribute to that youth adult partnership that we've talked talked about in our profession for years, but really valuing what they bring to the table and how they can contribute to the advancement of our programming. A specific example is in Kentucky, we have our state officers. And I think that's a pretty traditional program for many states. Our officer program was um, alienating young people. And so a group of adults and youth took on that task of evaluating this time-honored tradition program and really looking at how is this contributing to the overall success of our program and the overall success of our young people? And are we setting this program up in a way that includes all young people. And our youth were instrumental in that process of of giving us their ideas and and the adults utilizing their ideas in a meaningful way. One thing I'm taking from this conversation is the impact of asking the hard questions and naming what you see as a professional, as an adult, being able to say you have potential here in a really kind, approachable way. And I think that takes tremendous courage and professionalism and deep, deep commitment to the well-being of young people. Where does that come from for you? Well, I think, I guess to go back to a personal experience, Maria, my family is from Appalachia. We're from Eastern Kentucky. A lot of young people don't get the opportunities that young people maybe in urban areas or suburban areas get. So for me, it comes from this internal motivation of, I want to provide young people things that my family and their community didn't have. Now working with young people from, from Appalachia, from you know our rural areas, I want to continue that because they have the opportunity to succeed just as much as any other young person. So for me, that's my internal motivation of asking those hard questions of how are we providing opportunities for all young people? And those are really, really tough conversations to have sometimes. But I, as a leader, I want to ensure that I'm the person that is 
advocating for young people, but also advocating for 4-H and giving 4-H agents or 4-H educators and giving them the tools necessary to be, to have the confidence to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it come, I think it comes through a lot of different, different um, mediums, professional development, hard conversations with supervisors. And I think it also comes from leadership, um, programmatic leadership. Are we, are we fostering that ability to have those conversations in our environment as well? What a great role model you are for us and uh, the folks in Kentucky and hopefully any listener out there now. Rachel, there's a little tradition we have on our podcast. And if you've listened to a few, you may already know that this is coming. But when we talk with our uh, special guests, we always end our talk with uh, the same question. And it is this, what is your PYD in three? Three can be anything, words, images, statements. You get to choose that. Uh, But what is your three? So you said images and I'm a visual person. I love images. So I think I'm going to go with images on this one. My first one is a megaphone. And the reasoning for that is that we need to be able to amplify our collective voice to promote the intentional and meaningful programming of positive youth development, whether that's through 4-H or other positive youth development organizations. The second one is a sparkler because I truly believe in getting those young people connected to opportunities related to their spark and what really puts that passion and fire in them. And then the third one would be two hands holding, because I really believe that this profession is all about the relationships. Even if it's not a strength, get the right people on the bus in the right seat that can help you get to that next step. And we can't do it alone. It's a, it's a community effort and it's a, an effort by everyone. Did not disappoint that you know. <laughs> That's perfect. That's that, so visual again, but also I right on board with everything you're saying. So we appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I had not met Rachel before today, right, Maria? And so right. I have heard nothing but great things. And thank you again, did not disappoint. So we thank you so much for being with us. And thank you. We know our listeners are going to have a lot of great takeaways as well. Thanks, Rachel. Welcome to segment three. We just had a great conversation with Dr. Rachel Gadouli about youth leadership. Maria, first thoughts? Well, I think the world of Rachel as a colleague and and as a human and now uh, as a podcast guest, she has great energy and it's clear that her passion for young people and growing their leadership skills and growing, helping them grow into be the leaders they can be. It's, it's just so evident and how she communicates about leadership development. So I love that. That gives me a lot of energy. And I hope listeners experience that as well. Couldn't agree more. It was it was a lot of fun to have that conversation with her. And hopefully we'll have more uh, as well. But lots of great insight and, and conversation to, to start here in segment three. So I don't even know where to begin. There's just a lot. Well, I'll tell you where I want to begin. Go for it. And it is the sit and get. You do uh, that. And I wrote it down too. Yes. And I wrote and note that leadership development is not a spectator event. That if you are watching from the sidelines and or creating an environment where there's only watching, you know, from the sidelines for a majority of people, 
that that transfer of learning or the internalization of the experience may not happen, that you have to get in it to win it, I guess you'd say, or get in it to really understand um, these nuances of leadership development. That doesn't mean we don't learn through observation. That's not what I'm saying. But if you are just coming to looky-loo, your experience may not be as rich as young people who were really looking to get get themselves into the hard stuff, the good stuff, all the things connected to leadership development. A common challenge that we hear from professionals in youth development is, I can't keep teens in my program. I can't keep youth once they hit a certain age. I can't keep them involved. Job mm-hmm. out. And I appreciated her comment and she said, teens that are engaged have buy-in. So rather than try to constantly create the buy-in, it's really creating the engagement and making sure that we have a place for them um, so that they're not at a sit and get, right? They're not just Mm -hmm. there to listen and, um, you know, as we heard in, in episode 10, be a helper. Like they're not just the helper. They're not just, we're not asking them to always just be the teacher. Maybe, maybe they're really engaged as a teacher and they want to do that. And that's part of their learning, but we need to offer them more, more opportunities there to get that buy-in to engage them. Yes. And that in those opportunities, they want to be seen, heard and make an impact uh, particularly this generation, that connection that they want so badly to be connected to each other and their community and make an impact that way. It makes me want to look at teen programming and say, where is that happening? How are we seeing these young people? How are we truly hearing them instead of queuing them up for things we want them to say? That's a big deal, right? And um, how are we creating opportunities for them to make an impact? Not us tell them how to, but truly allow them to move in that direction. As you're talking about this, it makes me think about um, a program we have here in Nebraska called Lifestyle Achievement Program. Mm -hmm. And those youth that, that decide to apply for that program have really the autonomy to decide what they want to set goal, how they want to set goals for themselves, what they want to achieve. And that includes leadership and citizenship pieces. And the, the most interesting of those, when I read their reports are the ones that select the option of choose your own or create your own leadership opportunity or experience. And they come up with things that I never would have put as an option. I just, that that's a hundred percent what I, what I'm thinking, Maria, when you're saying, you know, let them let them have the choice. Let them kind of form or shape their own experience because uh, they're kind of sometimes more creative than we are, and they're gonna use their spark to figure out what they want to do and what they want to achieve. So, you know, are there opportunities to build more of that in where they really truly have their own direction? And that, in many cases, they enjoy a risk. It's not as intimidating as maybe when you're a little older, that risk-taking behavior in a good and healthy environment and a safe environment is a really great learning experience for youth development, particularly in adolescence. I love creating opportunities for young people to take a risk and, and following their lead when they do. I love that she said youth, that they need exposure as they continue to figure out who they are as leaders and grow their own leadership identity. 
And so I think that's important, particularly as we see a shift to sheltering young people from others or news experiences, things of the world, um, that that exposure in a safe and healthy environment can really generate some insight into who and how they want to be in the world. That's so important right now. I think that is the instinct to want to kind of shield from some of the things that have been happening, but uh, they know what's going on. They, you know, yes. they're, they're at also an age where they, they really see what's going on around them. One thing that Rachel, that really resonated with me was when we talked about, and I think we all have examples of this, when you say an adult saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself, often the case, a lot of times, and, and even with young professionals, it's sometimes having to say, have you ever thought about trying X? Have you ever thought about being a part of, you know, this opportunity? And sometimes it takes an ask, doesn't it? And again, it's about being intentional about those and making sure that we're approaching it in a way of this is an opportunity. This is a, a, this is, but this is a choice. You don't have to, it's not a have to type of type of thing. And I think the results speak for themselves in that. I love that permission to say no and permission to say yes, to explore something that you love about this experience that I, or the way that you're doing that experience. I see this in you. I talk um, about one of my mentors, you know, why was that person so important to me as a 15 year old budding leader from Wilkes County, Georgia? It's because He knew I wanted something to explore something and created pathways to opportunities where I could have that exposure and that real sincere engagement, not just saying what adults told me to say, what my parents told me to say, but I could explore it on my own and figure out how am I going to influence my community, even as a 15, 16 year old, that I have space here to do that and keep moving forward. So um, do you sometimes think the the reverse of that too, Maria? I, I, I probably go to the negative place, but I, sometimes I look back on my childhood and my specifically that, you know, high school age range. And I think, why didn't I, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I go on that trip? Or why didn't I participate in that event or go out for that team or whatever it is? And I think, well, no one, no one asked me, no one told me I could. Mm-hmm. And had someone said, Hey, you know, you'd be great at this. I probably would have stepped up and tried it, but I think it was that like, you know, you're so unsure and you don't have the confidence yet to say, yeah, that's me. Do you have any of those moments where you think, I wish somebody would have pushed me on that a little more. I will say I do. When I interact with other adults who have like a special gift or they're really good at X, Y, Z. And I said, you know, I'll hear them sing uh, as we're in a car together. And I say, did you ever take voice or chorus in high school? No. Why would I do that? Because you have this, I I clearly can hear this talent that you have. Well, my parents would never have let me do that. They never encouraged that. And I think, well, there's still time. You can take voice lessons as a adult if you want, and it could become a really terrific hobby. So I hear it a lot in other folks or see it a lot in folks with whom I work. Um, 
And then in the young people that are a part of my community here to be able to say, you know, what, you're actually really great at this. Um, I don't know if you need an opportunity in that. Let's talk to your parents and figure out how to take take advantage of what this community has to offer. So in reflection, I don't know that I intentionally said I wish someone would have, but I definitely can see it in other folks. Like, why did they never give you lessons in this? Because, wow, you have so much rich talent. Well, I'm glad that those people have you to say, hey, thought <laughs> about it, even as an adult, even mm-hmm. thinking about it now. And I'm over here just like, why I could have been amazing. You <laughs> still can be, Ashley. <laughs> you still can be. Well, thank you. See, this is this is why our uh, colleague relationship works so well. That's right. So, Maria, uh, lots of great information. I'm still processing a lot of what we talked about with Rachel, to be honest, because it it was it was so wonderful, and I think will lend itself to more conversations about a similar topic. But to wrap up this episode, of course, we have to go to our three. So, what are your three from youth leadership today? The first is, let's take some risks. (laughs) I'm going to say that always, uh, but let's take some informed risks or allow space for young people to take it as they explore their their leadership potential. Let's take some risks, folks. Good, wise risk-taking. Let's expose young people to different ways of being, various content, Uh, so that they can really figure out for themselves how they want to be and do in the world. I think that will help the ability to be contributing citizens, which is ideally what we want through this 4-H positive youth development experience. So take some risks, expose young people to a variety of things as best you can, and, um, and allow them to experience it not a sit and get, that they are in it, they are active, they are engaged um, in a meaningful way and truly internalizing the lessons from that experience. How about you, Ashley? I really enjoyed this conversation and I know I've already said it, but about kind of making the ask, you know, being able to see something in someone and giving them that little, that little nudge again, not a have to always choice, but approaching youth in a way or teens in a way that they can um, maybe say, well, maybe, maybe that is me. Maybe, you know, I do see myself in that way too. Um, So I appreciated that conversation. I also really liked, you know, talking about teens and buy-in and, and what makes youth want to participate in a program that what makes that engagement happen. And the the fact that it's okay to sunset programs that maybe aren't doing that, maybe it's not, maybe we do have some sit and get programs that, that are no longer of interest from the, from those youth, you know, is that still worth our time or do we need to transition that and look at that a little bit differently? So, you know, I love change. Not everyone does. And so for me, that's an opportunity just to look at things from a different perspective and improve always upward trajectory. So I, I liked that. It's okay to sunset programs, which we know we talk about that, but in this lens of, because it's not maybe as engaging as it needs to be for this age group. And then the last thing 
and it's a quote that Rachel said, and I wrote it down that youth voice should be quality, not just quantity. And so I think we all know we need to include youth voice. We say that and we'll say, well, what do you think about that? Right. But that's just checking it off the list. That's not necessarily actively letting them be participants and actively engaging them in their learning and their experiences. So really listening um, and making it quality youth voice, not just quantity. So those are my three. I could have chosen a lot more. There was a lot more that I jotted down, but um, that's what's really resonating with me today. Well, it sounds like we need to have some follow-up conversations with Dr. Rachel Gadilly. Absolutely. We'll, mm. uh, we'll have to do that. Uh, she's a great guest and lots more to talk about. Indeed. We'll catch her on a future episode. Thanks for listening.